Hello, everybody. Jim here. And if you like podcasts and want to help us out for what we do on all of our podcasts, it would be awesome if you'd go check out our Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash weird science, where we end up doing a ton of exclusive podcasts and a lot of Marvel things, as well as other stuff. We have an ultimate Marvel Universe reading club right now. On our Crisis Event podcast, we're going through 2015 Secret Wars, but we have other things as well. We have reading clubs for Hellboy, Walking Dead, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Miller World books, and a ton more. One of the other things is you get to hear this podcast early access a day early and, you know, get in on all the fun. And the thing is, if you go over right now to patreon.com slash weird science, you can end up signing up for a seven-day free trial so you can see if it's right for you and you can see if I'm actually telling the truth, which which I am. But with all of that, it'd be awesome if you would go over, check it out, and there is a clickable link in the show notes of this podcast, so it'll be easy-peasy. Go over there. I hope to see you all there, but here we go with this week's show. You are all weirdos. Weird science. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. This is episode 10, legacy number 510. We have a lot of books this week. I am starting off here with my man, Matt. What up, Matt? What up, Jim? What up? And we have, yeah, a lot of new books. We've got some new number ones. We even have a little alien going on that you'll hear later that I didn't get involved with. I ended up, I was going to end up talking about that with zach and i ended up like yeah i don't think i'm into this i ended up reading (laughs) it i'm like i don't know what's going on here and so he ended up recording by himself he was so into that declan shelby his favorite writer of all time so he said that yeah so he said that he was going to do that so you can look forward to that and i'm also going to be joined by my man gray but me and matt here we have a bunch of books we have a ton of books this week so many books you even said to me when you we were getting ready that when you went to look at what came out from marvel this week it was like an avalanche of books they did put out a ton this week and we're going to start with a number one that comes off of a number one that i'm sure that people are going to pish posh because it's dan slot but me and you have talked about this the last time when we talked about superior spider-man returns we don't play that. We're like homie. We don't play that. We <laughs> just it, go in. Did it come off of another number one Spider yeah, Boy? I think too? it just keeps it's like eighty number ones. Yeah, <laughs> Spider Boy number, number one as well. <laughs> I actually were you shocked that Spider Boy was so big in this? Because I yes, didn't know didn't or, expect it at all. I had no idea. So when I saw him, I'm not gonna say that I'm the biggest Spider Boy fan right now, but actually when I saw him, I'm like, oh, this might be a bad play, like to really hinge on Spider Boy that people are kind of divided. I'm going to tell some people really like Spider Boy. Me and mm-hmm. you don't mind Spider Boy. Mm-hmm. We like him. But to really throw all your cards into that Spider Boy deal might throw some people off. And as we get into this Superior Spider Man number one, we're going to talk about the idea of what we think or don't know what this book is going to be or supposed to be because it's kind of odd the way it's set up, but it's written by Dan Slott. Pencils by Mark Bagley in the first part. There is a backup, and that's the mistaken identity crisis bit. A little there thrown at maybe a DC, probably not. John Dell Mm -hmm. inks on the mistaken identity crisis. Nathan Stockman, the art on the negative reinforcement in the backup. Edgar Delgado, the colors throughout. VCs Joe Caramagna, 
the letter drew out and looks pretty good. Yeah. I, I think that this whole thing, even the backup, looks very good. And it is kind of fun. But again, I kind of was thrown off a bit that it was so heavy with Spider-Boy because you even said that by the end of this, it feels more like a Spider-Boy comic than anything else. Right now, to me it does. he's in the, the front up and the back up. Yep. It's almost like Spider-Boy and his amazing friends because he starts <laughs> off with Spider-Man and you're going to go through this play of how is Spidey able to ease Spider-Boy back into things? He is taking him around. He is kind of mentoring him. I know that people are kind of triggered by that. That Spider-Man should never have a sidekick and things like that. I'm under the idea of, well, he has one here, and I'm going to read it and see if I have any fun with the book. And I'll tell you, I don't mind the Superior Spider-Man number one. I don't love it. I mm-hmm. actually like Spider-Boy more than this, and that's what kind of gets me where I already think I have my fill of Spider-Boy each month in the Spider-Boy comic. I just We never really sat there and thought we, we were... Wondering to each other a little, but never really sat there and really nailed out the idea of what we think Superior Spider-Man coming back. What will it be? What will it mean? We, you, you said you don't I, think it's going to be Ock getting his fat butt I really in the don't. costume again, yeah. right? No. But is it going to be something where I don't know? Because by the end of this issue, Doc Ock actually remembers his, you know, the past. He remembers being. Superior actually ends up remembering that he was Peter Parker. That's the big play because he hasn't had his memories. But what does that mean? And what is that going to be going forward? Is he going to team up with Peter because he seems to be fully against Spider-Man anyway? And this whole villain that was played out, the supernova that we ended up, if you don't know who that is, was in that Returns number one, is after Peter like really wants to kill him. And Peter says that the point in this The only way I can stop that is just by, it's like Spider-Man no more. It's a weird play Mm -hmm. of how it's set up in this book of the only way I can get away from Supernova is just not being Spider-Man. She's not going to hurt anybody else. Just Spider-Man. So I'll stop being. So what happens then? How do we get to the deal? But we'll go into this. You end up where (laughs) Spider-Boy and Spider-Man are fighting Mirage and the whole play is, can I fight him, Spidey? Can I get involved? And he's like, yep, you could do D-Lister. It's kind of a funny play where Mirage hears this D-Lister. At the end, actually admits, I guess I am a D-Lister because he gets taken down by Spider-Boy. But the reason why, besides not wanting Spider-Boy to get hurt, Peter is trying to teach him things. You, You can't end up saying like, Okay, I'm going to sit back here. You figure this out if it's, you know, the lizard. You know, you, you can't do that. He's going to get killed. So he's there and they're playing the games. And hey, the Mirage has a bunch of different duplicates. And you're ending up where Spider-Boy's smart enough to figure out that the one casting a shadow is the real one. They yeah. take him down. Everybody's excited. It's It's, again, it's still that introduction of Spider-Boy, even though he was around before, but he got erased. But everybody's kind of into spider boy and there they got him and they're looking on the billboards and they're in like times square and spider boy accidentally almost takes off his mask and reveals his identity he's like dude you're on the jumbotron don't take that off he's on the jumbotron (laughs) now in that you do get more of the play where because of peter and this again if you haven't been following a lot of the spider verse stuff and the dan slot stuff you might be a little off on some of these things of that peter ended up going and remembering you know having a life with uncle ben uncle ben didn't die and then when he came back he ends up still remembering that so when we're doing that that's the play peter 
remembers the life that never existed while mm-hmm. everybody in the real life have forgotten Spider Boy. So they have that back and forth. And he says, I kind of wish that that didn't happen. I have to actually say goodbye to Uncle Ben a couple times then. I get it. But I think I would have been like, well, that's bonus. It's like overtime. Yeah. With Uncle Ben. It's like having they a nice him. dream. Yeah, they're showing him fishing there. He's like, I didn't like fishing. That's all <laughs> He hates fishing. So, Oh, yeah, that was if, sorry, that was the one where he was um, handicapped. He never became Spider-Man, Spider-Verse stuff. You're right. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, that was the whole Spider-Verse deal. And it says, you know, the end of Spider-Verse and things. So you have all that. But again, they're they're going to have ice cream. And you're seeing little things here that when... Peter says, hey, do you want to go get ice cream? This is something they used to do. Yeah, before. we've done it. We do this all the time, dude. It's no big deal. It makes sense, though, because Peter yeah. thinks like it's this new thing that yeah. he's going to do. But <laughs> it does make sense. It's a Peter Parker thing that they'd go. But in that, too, you end up where Spider-Boy constantly has been saying, I want to get web shooters. I need web shooters. I'm the non-web. So, and that comes into play in a kind of a clever way in mm-hmm. the backup. Because, again, as this is going on, they then get attacked by the supernova. Now, this was a villain made by Doc Ock when he was Spider-Man during the Superior Spider-Man. He didn't know about it, didn't remember. Kind of one of those hidden things that we didn't even know about but came to be in that return. So she's there, but she wants to attack Spider-Man. She didn't know it was Doc Ock, so she's going after him. Peter is like, I, I don't know you. But yeah. I think in his mind, he's like, well, what? you know, there's a lot of things I, I didn't know Spider Boy. So he's trying to escape it. He tells Spider Boy he's got to get out. Like, this is <laughs> this is an A lister right here. Yeah, Supernova is actually pretty, <laughs> you know, mega level here and starts just destroying buildings, going ham on it. And eventually, like I said, Peter realizes I just have to get away from being Spider Man. If I take the costume off, she's not going to hurt anybody else. So I got to get out of here. In the meantime, Doc Ock thinks it's hilarious because he set that up and he's there and he has his Octoids and they're filming. In the meantime, you also have Anna Maria. There's a lot of things getting thrown in that could end up getting us to that superior deal. Mm -hmm. We don't know where or when, right? Yeah. It's just a weird play. Who is going to be the superior deal or is it just going to be Tails? I think it somehow involves Spider-Boy. It's my guess. (laughs) Maybe that's the play. At one point in this. Superior Spider-Boy. You do have Spider-Boy say, there's something I need to tell you, and he doesn't get to tell him. But even so, he ends up, as we see in the backup, he was even the sidekick of Doc Ock Mm -hmm. as Superior Spider-Man. So there's a cool play there. But in this, though, again, there's a lot of reiterating what happened in the returns. There's If you don't like Spider-Boy... You're not going to like this. I I hate to say it, but if you are somebody who said, and there were people when we did our podcast and the video, that they just said, I do not want to read any Spider-Boy. Then again, I think that goes with Dan Slott as well. So they probably wouldn't be reading this. But again, if if it's too much, I, I get it. I understand that. I even thought, again, that I was surprised it was so much. So by the end of this first bit of the story, it's kind of cool. It just goes by really quick. The, fir- the front up is very short. You are going so quick and you're giving little. And again, Dan Slott does a good enough job that even though he is kind of just at points recapping things that we had in that returns, he twists it a little. He adds a little here. He has it through dialogue and it, it doesn't feel as forced or, you know, overbearing as some other comics. But by the end of this front up, the big play 
really is that the one of the Octoids goes. I love the idea that he sends the Octoids out to film the fight. He wants <laughs> to actually get every angle he can of Spider-Man dying. That's all he really wants. He wants to go and make some, you know, crazy movie later that can play at an IMAX 3D. He wants every angle. The one Octoid just goes off on its own. And he's mad at first because that that Octoid ends up getting, you know, a play of Spider-Man by himself. You end up having Peter go into an alley Mm -hmm. and says, if this whole supernova is after only Spider-Man, doesn't know I'm Peter Parker, I'm going to take the costume off and then she'll calm down and I'll figure things out. Yep. The funny thing is exactly what he wanted to have not happen to spider boy because spider boy was taking this bet but that was like sitting on a building right at times he does it and his spider sense goes and he starts arguing with the spider sense he's like oh man and it's really bad he says oh my god it hurts so much i get it spider sense this supernova i'm I'm dealing with it i'm taking and it's because the Octoids there, and it's like, it really is creeping around this one It's pole. the same as those spider bots he used to have that he would send out. This just makes me laugh because it's like squinting as it Isn't comes Isn't that a part over. of his arm that he kind of yeah, sends it is. off? Yeah, the whole deal sends off. So it ends up filming it's pretty cool. Peter. So I, I thought it was funny. And then Supernova does say, well, if I can't find Spider-Man, I'll, I'll just skedaddle here. I'll yeah. find you. I'll get you, Spider-Man. I know where you are, whatever. I'll get you. And goes off. So that... You end up having Doc Ox like, oh, here comes the Octoids. And they all connect on to his you know, tentacle deal. And he's like, oh, man, what do I need to have this? Why, why do you give me information about Spider-Man? I wanted this big fight. Oh, crap. And he sees that he unmasked. It's Peter Parker. And that is the trigger he needed. And if you haven't been reading you know, a bunch of different things, not just Dan Slott stuff, even stuff from Zeb Wells, even stuff going back to Nick Spencer, like a lot of, he hasn't had his memories. They were, and he needed them. He wanted them kind of like how Ben Riley wanted his stuff from the beyond deal. At one point, Ock thought it was that as well. And now he sees that Peter Parker and he's like, boom, I was Peter Parker. Now it makes sense. Spider-Man's Peter Parker. I was Peter Parker. That ends up being that pretty much ties everything together. To make sense, even though at points he was remembering making stuff as Pete. You know what I mean? It was weird, yeah, but this is the trigger that gives him everything, including what I thought was funny right in the forefront. Aunt May giving him a kiss on the cheek because he's <laughs> got that thing for Aunt May. So it, it did make me laugh. But you have a bunch of things from Superior there on the page going around. And he says, now I remember everything. He thinks that this is going to be the way that he can now again. He could be superior, who knows? But it's weird. Like, where are we going from here? It almost feels I, like these are like, okay, this could have been a one-shot. Doc Ock gets his memories back, and now he's a villain in the regular Spider-Man stuff, so I want to see. I mean, anytime a, a major villain knows Peter Parker's identity, he's problematic. So. And it's so funny. It's problematic, but then, again, there's those intriguing things that he was like it's not even just oh my god peter parker i he was knows peter. everything oh my god now i know everything and all these things and mate like he knows everything and what is he gonna do with that which way is he gonna go i really really like that superior spider-man by christos gage that you had when uh he went to san francisco and actually tried to be superior spider-man where he's learning like that in that series he like would save the day but the whole street block was all destroyed and he's like going away and then anna 
was like, no, 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 you have to help pick. <laughs> he was so mad because he didn't think that that was stuff he had to do, but he was learning uh-huh. how to be a hero. I really like that, but I don't think we're going that route. But that's that's the front part. Mm-hmm. Then we go to the backup, and again, the backup is heavy Spider-Boy. Oh, like, yeah. This is Spider-Boy back in the day being mentored by Doc Ock, Superior Spider-Man, and the clever thing I mentioned before was right away where Peter will not let Spider-Boy have web shooters. The minute that you see him in the backup, he is zipping around everywhere with <laughs> web shooters because Doc Ock doesn't care. Doc Ock had no care in the world, and they're fighting Mr. Negative, and they're going through all these. It's, it's okay. It's it's more the idea of remembering how Doc Ock was as Superior Spider-Man. That, that's kind of the play that mm-hmm. I get with the you know angle of, hey, we just didn't know that Spider-Boy was always there. Doc Ock has no time for Spider-Boy. He ends up at one point almost beating the crap out of him. He does hit him a couple times, though, but then later realizes, oh, my God, I shouldn't hit a kid. I was abused myself uh, as the Fantastic (laughs) Four show up. And it's the FF team from back in the day with Miss Thang, Medusa, She-Hulk, and Ant-Man. They come down because Mr. Negative is stealing a butt. The idea of what he is trying to load up it's a bunch of Kirby machinery into Fantastic Car. There's way too much. I mean, we've all seen <laughs> those things online where there's a guy on a bike and he's got like 8 million tons of like hay and crap on the bike yeah. behind him. That's what it looks like. He has grabbed a, a bit too many things. Doesn't seem like he can get anywhere, but they end up stopping him again. It's it's Mr. Negative. He's grabbing stuff to get him in the negative zone and to do negative things. <laughs> and you end up having Superior Spider-Man and Spider-Boy trying to stop he ne- that. He, he negative zaps Spider-Boy somehow yeah, and turns yeah, him at bad. at one point he negative. And that's the play, too. And this is, I guess, what we're playing <laughs> with, maybe, is the idea that the connection between Superior Spider-Man, Ock, and Peter is Spider-Boy, who was there for both of them, and did he notice, and what could this mean? What will Doc Ock think? He says he remembers everything. I wish that we saw that Doc Ock actually, and we might find out later, he really took a liking to Spider-Boy. Mm-hmm. And But does he remember Spider-Boy? He says he remembers everything, but everybody else forgot about, and in that spread, there's no Spider-Boy. Yeah. So I wonder, like, how's that play? Because Spider-Boy is actually nice in this, where it's Doc Ock, and he's just yelling and nasty. But so- somehow Spider-Boy thinks that it's because he's been affected by Mr. Negative, that that's the reason why he's upset. Yeah, and he's like, that's a good oh. play. Yeah, and he's like, oh, like, give him a break. I, I got to figure it out. But he's always like, even to the FF, because they say, well, we'll take you. At, at the one point, you have Doc, Doc say, take this kid. You guys take kids in. I don't want him. Take him to, you know, the FF. Take him to the Academy. Do whatever. I don't want any parts of him. I'm out. And you end up having Bailey's like, oh, well, he's just got some things to work through. So we'll see. We'll see how it is. <laughs> because it would be traumatic. I mean, he's used to Peter Parker, who's a nice guy. you know. Yeah, and then- yeah. And and even then, when so that is kind of a cool little guest play of like, how did he react when it wasn't Peter? And did he know? Because he, he sees that he's kind of miserable. But is it going to be like, if we keep doing this, keep showing different things of why? Oh, that's why. It's not yeah. because he's a j- I don't know. but. Heavy Spider Boy in both, and uh, I don't know if you'll agree, but by the end, I just I was scratching my head, like, what are we going to do with this book? Like, what is this book going forward? Is this something that I can see? Like, I don't get a mission statement here or an elevator pitch yet. 
that I can wrap my head around to say, "Ooh, this could be a long run." Well, or this could be, you know, this many. It's weird. You never got that really in the last run this slot did on Spider Man. That there was kind of just. Is it me, or I mean, people probably agree, but it it just feels like they just decided, "Hey, uh, Dan." You kind of are better at doing Spider-Man than a lot of other things, so just do some Spider-Man. I, I think that's what it is. And then he did the Spider-Man deal, and then they're like, okay, well, how about we now call it Superior Spider-Man and just see if things – almost like we'll see if it works out down the road. It feels weird. It feels like random things that you're – but I didn't hate it. I, yeah, I, I had some fun with this more than I'm having with the set. Maybe that's the play too. Maybe it's because I really don't like Seb Wells stuff. Yeah. That this ends up being elevated a bit. Like, okay, I had a little bit of fun. You did have one point too, like weird things that I laughed at where Supernova, because she was around Doc Ock, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, she's like, I'm going to use your catchphrase, you know, and it's the cast to die. And he, and that's where Peter's like, Oh yep. God, I know what this means. <laughs> like he connects it too. So yeah, both of them seem to now know what the other might have done or what they're doing. And I don't know. The Sunspot doesn't seem like such a bad villain because just once Supernova, Spider-Man. Yeah, Supernova. Yeah. So it's not like it's like the end of the world deal that they have to. I, I don't know how they're going to resolve this. I, I really don't. It's such a weird book. But uh, what would you give it? I would say that, you know, being a fan of, well, I guess when you look back on Nick, Nick Spencer and uh, Zeb Wells, you think you realize how, how good Slot was compared to these other guys. So that's probably elevates it a lot in my book because I did like that a lot, the, all the stuff that they're going over on here. Um, and also I like Mark Bagley and I like Spider Boy. So I'll give it a, I'll give it a 7.5. Yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. Again, yeah, I'm, I'm a little confused more of how long or where this would go, but at least while I was reading it, I didn't sit there and check the page count. I didn't grimace at any point. Again, I know somebody's going to yell in the comments or whatever and say, I hate Spider-Boy. I grimace all the time. That's fine. I said, if you don't like Spider-Boy, there's no reason to buy this. You might as well not buy it because it is heavy Spider-Boy. But if you don't mind Spider-Boy or like him, it's not like it's not as good, I think, as the Spider-Boy book. But there's mm-hmm. some fun, I guess. I think right now we're just we're just we're thrown off by the title Superior Spider-Man more than anything. I think that's kind of like misleading. But I, I do like that it's not like decompressed storytelling. You can tell that's going to be quick stories here and there and they'll, they'll move on to something else, which I like. Yeah. I mean, and, and in the background, we'll have the idea of Ock and, and the Supernova. Yeah, we'll just, so we'll, we'll see keep, where it takes us, you know? Yeah, we'll see. So I, I'm a seven. You're a seven five. Still better than some books that are coming mm-hmm. out. I'll tell you that. At least it's <laughs> trying to have fun. But we're going to move to the next book. And that next book is Daredevil. Daredevil number three, written by Saladin Ahmed. Art by or pencils by Aaron Cooter and Fareed Karami. Me and you didn't realize there were two artists. No. And right before we started recording this, we were going through it. Once we realized, then it's it's very obvious the yes. deal. Each one has their pluses and minuses. I like Aaron Cooter's art a lot in this. He doesn't do tons of pages, but they're pretty good. And this Fareed Karami, I'll give you, he likes to draw a muscular man. Yes, he does. At the point where I've never, I don't think I've seen daredevil as muscular mm-hmm. as he is in a couple of the scenes it's kind of cool then you have inks by cam smith and fareed Krami and colors by jesus erbertov letters by vcs clayton coles and we're gonna keep doing the combo matt is father matt but he's also daredevil 
The problem by the end is you don't really get to do too much of each because you're dividing that up. You're kind of going a slow burn story. I don't hate it. I just, I've said it last issue. I'll say it again here. It hasn't hooked me yet. I haven't had a point where I've said it. And though in the positive spin of that, it hasn't lost me either. So I'm just kind of like in the middle waiting for something to happen. By the end of this issue, you have a cliffhanger that I think that Salavina Med thinks it's going to be the thing to hook me. I mean, you don't really think it is. No. But we'll get to that in a second where you do have Matt going around. You have a lot of narration, but it's it doesn't get heavy handed. It's not, you know, very it's not pretentious. It's just him going around. It, but he keeps repeating himself. I get it. The idea you're going to tie in a lot of you know, biblical reference stuff because of the father, Matt, but you're also going to go with him trying to figure out a couple of things. And one of the big things is Ben Urich. Ben Urich. And the funny thing in this is we find out because we are pretty sure and we saw Reveal All Devils, the online crazy, I don't know, troll account. Yeah, message board or something. Ben Urich's. But then Ben Urich, <laughs> it seems. But Ben Urich is then taking that to say it's a source. To then print stuff. He's out of control. I don't know that. It, it almost feels like he's going one step too far. If, in oh fact, God. he is the reveal of devil, screw that. Just say, because he is a really kick-ass reporter. He's a really good, you know, just say it's your info because you're printing this. And Robbie's losing his mind of, you're just printing stuff that this wackadoo online guy is doing. And he's like, you don't know. And at points, he does get kind of mad like you don't understand that oh yeah he's freaking out it, it's personal robbie you should be able to see this now robbie is there shaking his head like this isn't you this is ridiculous i was waiting for robbie to straight up say listen i dealt with jay jonah jameson for so long with the menace crap and now we're doing this again now with their well, like stop it and so he just says i do it i'm running it and robbie goes off the guy's lost his mind well in the meantime Matt is watching all this from the rafters, mm-hmm. and he is like, this isn't Ben, and it's not. And that's where me and you were talking. You actually came up with the idea that we got away from that first issue. You ended up having that demon. We think it was sloth. It kept yeah, telling sloth. Matt to relax. Don't do this. Other people, there was a big controversy about it, but put that aside, and we think it was the idea of sloth, one of the deadly sins. So. We ended up looking up. You looked up the deal, and this might end up being the another Greed. demon. Because remember, everybody, we ended up seeing that demon possessing Electra in a way that looked really neat. Like we thought it was kind it of a cool play. Yeah. Now, is this where Ben is being? We don't see the demon per se, but he is being possessed at this point. And when we looked at the the sins, it could be. Uh, greed is what we thought. It would, it would explain how he was able to own Daily Bugle, too. Yeah, I mean, and, and things with this of him even getting upset about the source. Oh, it yeah. Seems to be him. And he he's, wants more and clicks. He's tra- <laughs> yeah, he says, we want clicks. He's all into it. Even that, when he says clicks, that throws Robbie. Like, that's what we're yeah. dealing with, clicks. And I'm thinking, yeah, Robbie, that's what you're dealing with because nobody's <laughs> buying a newspaper. Please, you better get on the trolley yourself. I still want the idea here. To go back to when Jay Jonah ended up having that podcast. podcast. I need more Jay Jonah podcasting would be hilarious. I wish that they mentioned Jay Jonah at this point. But Robbie's lost his mind. 
And mm-hmm. we, we both think that he's being possessed. Whether it is the overall deal of the deadly sins, even if it's not, we do think that he's being possessed to do this. And I think what you're having the play is, and a lot of people I saw some reviews, are bringing up the idea, we even said when we were talking, we got away from that demon, and it's weird because it just got shoved aside. I think that Saladin Ahmed is trying to lay low with it so mm-hmm. that we're shocked when we find out. There's going to be seven people or seven s- sins or whatever. It's not just we so yeah, far, that's we, what we think seen. we've seen two. When it does happen, we'll pat ourselves on the back. I was yeah. just going to gloat uh, for <laughs> us. but And if we're wrong, we will deny it all. We yes. will not remember anything. We'll delete but, the podcast. Nobody will ever know. Yeah, really. I'll get mad. Don't put it in the <laughs> review. Or it's gone. <laughs> So you end up where all this, like, I do think he's laying low so that we kind of forget about that. Maybe at the point where he's playing the game of you kind of get annoyed, like, man, we, oh, my God, he didn't forget about it might be kind of cool. But in the meantime, we have the other thing. Matt's doing the father Matt stuff. And I will continue to complain about the idea that you keep getting officials involved you keep getting investigations happening oh my god we got to go and see saint nicholas's school for wayward children we're looking into this with a fine tooth comb who do they think matt is (laughs) we keep saying this and somebody might say the idea well of course it's just matt but where are they going to mention the idea that world famous you know blind lawyer matt murdoch is now a priest they never have said anything like, at a point, you could even have this lady, because a lady comes to see and look through and see if everything's, you know, up to speed here. She could say, listen, uh, you you were a lawyer. You know how things are. Or, you know, something very easy. But I mm-hmm. don't think that's the case. Yeah. So what is it on the books? What do they think? Where did he grow up? What is what is he? How is he? Uh, all of a sudden, he's just Father Matt. They just kind of brush it no aside. Sense. Even though they're like really going through all these other things, I just need it to be referenced of what they think he is or isn't. I don't know because I, I don't. He he also looks like Matt Murdock. He's it's so weird. Like I what mean, is I, the play I, here? Right? It's Mephisto or nothing. I don't know what's going on here, but something like that. If you end up or should have already the idea where when Matt came back and he does say, "I came back the grace of God." Oh my God, and I. I still, and I said it from the beginning, can't be so sure that he doesn't know either. And it may find out like, oh, it was the devil, you know, Mm -hmm. this whole play, but whatever's going on. But in that, did everybody's mind get erased of, but Electra knows it's so weird. It is weird. We'll have to just wait and see, I guess. Doesn't quite jive with me overall, but it doesn't ruin anything. I just, every time we have something where like this lady comes in next, next thing though, when you end up, and these kids, they're a little sassy, right? They got some <laughs> yeah. spunk to them, they right? They definitely and do. They, they end up where they're kind of endearing. You don't want them to be separated. We we don't know too much about them, but what little we know kind of works out. It kind of works out with the idea of like, okay, well, I kind of like them, and they seem like Matt and the other priests, but you got to sit these kids down. And I said <laughs> to you, these kids, to me, aren't the kind of kids who they're in the system they have something good going here don't throw shade and antagonize a child the protective lady services who comes here to decide <laughs> if you belong here and if they should shut it down you're doing the opposite of what you should do because they're like get out of here you rando uh-huh. like what's going on the other father he's losing his mind he he can't end up he's like oh dios mio he's all upset <laughs> 
And the rest of them are like, hey, get this jerk out of here. And they're waiting for Matt. They're like ready to fight her, fight her or something. Really? I, I mean, if Matt didn't walk in and this lady, you could tell, was actually being very nice. She's mm-hmm. trying to learn their names. She's saying, listen, just calm down. I'm not here to separate you. I see things. Matt comes in disheveled. Eh, what's going on? He comes flying in. Hey, sorry, I'm late. And they're like, okay, okay, let's go talk. So they end up going in this other room to talk, like a little office deal. And Matt is there, and he's making and pouring her coffee. And I don't know why, but I thought that that you even said with me, it's it's like he's going too far. Like it's so funny. Like she's watching him, and she does again. Could she be a demon? I don't know. I think she's related to that. I'm just thinking about that now. I think she's one of the people checking in on him. Yeah, like look at how she's going. Like she seems way more There's concerned going with on looking at him yeah. and trying to figure him out than the kids. And if you ask me all around, I think that she wants this thing to stay as it is so mm-hmm. that they know where he is. Like the yep. idea where they can find him here because she's really like at point she is putting her glasses down like she's really checking him out of like what's going on with this guy i'm actually surprised she doesn't do the the trick where you know maybe it's even the idea she doesn't believe he's blind whatever like she drops something to see if he reacts or whatever but matt's smart enough for that but the deal as i said it would be funny if he's like pouring coffee in this missing cup and then she gets (laughs) his empty cup and has to pretend that she's so polite but yeah she seems a little off and it's weird She's when definitely sus The way that the art plays out Again I do like the art This is where you get the art change And maybe it's the art change But she seems like a little off mm-hmm. Don't you agree? Like she yeah. seems like sly Like I was thinking that her eyes were going to twinkle red yeah, or something It's like her eyes And that again would be a cool play Because Matt wouldn't maybe yep. notice But she yep. does end up like having this weird demeanor Once she gets into that room Even well, though what she's saying is nice it's kind of weird. But the we thing might she find says out. to him, what the next page though with the great Aaron Cooter art has him basically say, I, I, after talking to her, I'm looking to hurt someone tonight. So obviously, whatever she said, which didn't seem that bad to us, obviously affected him in a way that he wanted to go kick some ass. Yeah, and you know what? That's what the she weird does. Play. We might have to look at this because again, when you ended up what we thought was sloth deal. Wanted to affect Matt and say, "Come on, just you know, take a nap. You don't need. You're too yeah. overworked. You're done." So maybe this is one of the, and maybe that's what goes off because he is really pissed off. So what could that be? I don't wrath, know. Maybe, maybe it is wrath. Maybe that's the play. I mean, yeah. kind of cool thing. We're kind of throwing things out there. It may not be that, but kind of a cool way to kind of look at it because then he goes off to get that gang. The gang, the heat. He's over the top here, though. His reaction is not in line with what he just dealt with. Also, he's he's muscular. Like, I've never seen the man before. I mean, the muscles are muscles, this guy. But (laughs) this was, uh, again, that was that gang from before. And even when he's doing this, it ties in because those cops that came to kind of give him crap before, they are part of this gang. It's a very weird deal, but he is beating the crap out of people. And mm-hmm. you do have that interplay or that juxtaposition that I think that Saudi Nemet is doing pretty cool with where he, there he is. He's Father Matt. He's helping these kids. He's really good with the kids. But then when he goes out as Daredevil, I mean, he is here like way over the top. Like this is stuff he's going to have to do confession to himself with all the <laughs> stuff that he's doing. And at the point where he's really, really going over the top and ends up just destroying them all. And they're in just wreckage. He brings the house down. 
And then he's like going through the one guy's phone. And you have these things with Saladin Med wants to really make sure that we understand that he knows that Matt's blind. So you have things that, I don't know, it kind of slows things down where he's like, well, I, I fumble with the phone because I don't know this. And I have to do that just to then get this message. And he ends up getting this message and he hears the voice. He's like, I would remember that voice from, you know, 80 lives from now. Mm-hmm. It's Bullseye. That That's the big play. At the end, these guys are being led by Bullseye. He, I don't know. He seems to be on the phone and at the point saying like, hey, guess what, guys? I'm Bullseye <laughs> and I'm in charge. There's not much to it. Right. It's not like the idea yeah. where he's like, hey, we're doing this or that. He's just telling these guys just a reminder. I'm bullseye, bitch. That's all it is. I'm like, all right, it's bullseye, bitch. There you go. You get a cool little ending, but mean you don't love bullseye. No, I hope Daredevil takes care of him pretty quickly. And look at his hands, like all the weapons. He's got to throw a key at Matt. Like, it's like, leave me alone. Or like one of those little uh, mini golf pencils. I don't want to get hit by that. He has a screwdriver. He has a card. He has a key. He has a knife. He might have what looks like a vape. Uh, a throwing star, I'm like, well, I, I understand that everything you grab is a weapon, but seriously, you don't have to run around like you're Chris Angel. I think the card would be the worst thing to get hit by, I think. I don't know. Slice you. I actually wouldn't love getting hit by that throwing knife. Like, he's actually, <laughs> like the idea, that's my favorite thing about or that throwing star. The idea where Bullseye, in my mind, gets so hyped up with all of his press clippings that he doesn't actually pick up real weapons now. He's, he's grabbing like, oh, Look at that. He's just, I'm looking on my desk. I'm like trying to Kaiser so say this. Oh man, a cranberry. Uh, I have nothing <laughs> on my desk to be a weapon, but he can turn anything into a weapon. I got some dog treats. I got a wrapper <laughs> here, a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts cups, all weapons. He's going to get us. But yeah, at the end, I'm like, all right, I see what you're doing. I see what's going on and whatnot, but I don't really care to have Bullseye here, especially because. You know, there's some things left on the table already, and then it looks like it always feels like this early. Something like this is like, ooh, we're afraid it's not selling. We're afraid we don't have the oomph moment, the wow moment, so let's get it involved. But I could have dealt with out bullseye, get some of the other things wrapped up. Because now that we were talking about it, I hope to God it's true that we're getting a bunch of these demons around because that's actually kind of interesting to me. It is interesting. And he came back from hell. He doesn't really know how or why he thinks it's to be this priest. He owes something to somebody bad, I think is what's going on here. We'll see. I also want him to maybe get a hold of Foggy and Cole and maybe some other people. Electra was in and out because she wants to leave him alone. But I said to you, she wanted to leave him alone because, oh, he's father Matt. He always wanted to do this. I'm going to let him have his good life that he deserves. He's out kicking ass as Daredevil. Like, somebody's got to get involved. He seems, again, like when he saw Ben and said, oh, he's out of control. What's going on? He's kind of doing that as well. So we'll have to see how this is and what's being affected and all that. Because we don't trust that lady at all. No. Uh, Yeah. And with that. Now, the one good guy is the other priest who actually at one point, I really thought it was going to hit Matt. A little more because and that's where you really get that he's off too. to bring it up. He gets a voicemail. Now, first off, he's like, I'm going to play it real low. Say again, a little bit too much of these. Like, I'm going to do these clever things to go. But he listens to the voicemail. And one of the kids ended up having a night tear. And Matt was there for before. And she was calling out to Matt. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing out. You're out and about. You're a priest. Why are you out at 2 a.m.? This girl needs you. We all need you. And he kind of says, 
I feel a little bad about that, but I'm going to kick more ass. And then just goes back to kicking ass. And it felt weird. It felt like, like he was even himself being a little possessed by something. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe all this goes on and Electra has to swoop in and save him. I, I don't know. I Hopefully Bullseye shows up and then it's there's the other stuff in the background and they kind of handles Bullseye in one issue. I do like the next, uh, the John Meter Jr. cover for the next issue. I like the cover for this issue, John Meter Jr. cover. But the next one actually looks really good. It looks really classic. He's using guns instead yeah, of the I mean, other yeah, stuff. Yeah, you have him there. <laughs> Holy moly be funny he like all these things anything in my hands a weapon but he doesn't know how to work a gun he's like what's going on and matt's like i think you have the safety off thanks a lot dude boom boom he starts rooting tooting shooting but pretty cool i i think that that looks like a classic cover right there mm-hmm. uh but what would you give it uh I, originally i was gonna go seven i'm gonna bump it up to a 7.5 just after talking yeah. to it you know what i was together. gonna go six five and i'm bumping up to seven there I you actually, go. it's all in our minds maybe yeah. But I actually was intrigued by some things, and he is acting a little too violent by the end, especially with what he is now doing and trying to do. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But again, if you're going to go against Bullseye, I guess you're going to have to be violent. You're going to have to go full out. I We were talking him before. When, when Bullseye showed up in the Chip Zdarsky run, I wasn't even into that when no. there was the multiple bullseyes. Even you said, like, I'm trying to think of exactly <laughs> how it resolved and things. And all I can remember is there's one on the roof. I remember them yelling about that. And Matt had yeah. to go get it. He's in jail. Oh, my goodness gracious. But, yeah, this is not, again, though, like I said, it's not bad enough to make me not want to read it. But it's still not got me where I have to, like, oh, my God, this is a book you guys all have to read. No, we're not at that point, but I th- I think it could get there. It could yeah, get there. Yeah, it could. It will yeah. see. I'm in, I'm in a holding pattern. Usually I say it takes about three issues. Fortunately, I'm still kind of wondering, but we'll yeah. see. Maybe maybe Bullseye will be the key. Maybe he'll maybe. Uh, surprise us all. I mean, but if we'll somebody see. does it, does it, does them well, then it could be good. And I'm sure there are people out there listening that that Bullseye is not guy Frank and they can't. They're like, <laughs> oh my God, Bullseye, I can't wait. So we'll see. We'll see yeah. how it is. Uh, but we still have a bunch more books. So we're going to move on to the next one. What's up, all you weirdos out there? My name is Zach, and today I will be reviewing Alien number one for the Weird Science Marvel podcast. So let's go ahead and get right on into the credits. This is Alien number one, written and partially drawn by Declan Shalvey. The main art is by Andrea Bricardo, and the colors are by Ruth Redmond and Declan Shalvey. He's a triple threat, everybody. So the issue opens up with some narration about the cold and family, and it's very Vin Diesel-y, but, you know, you can just get over it. Uh, we see the new uh, Arctic Xenomorphs, known as Submorphs now by Declan Shelby. We see them running around, and we just see this narration where uh, the main character is talking about how she knows what the cold is because she lost her family to the cold. And we get all of that yum-yum, and then we finally open on The Descendant, which is a spaceship owned by the Whaling yutani Company. And it is floating above LV-695, which is the planet from the first series, Thaw. And on there, we see this crew. They're arguing about why they're just sitting around doing nothing. Some are for it. Some are against it. And then we get the call, and we see that their commander, somebody named Cole, is leading this mission. Now, they get orders to go on ahead and go on down to the planet and to try and extract the USCSS Borea, which is the Whalen yutani ship from the first series. We then do a flashback to 40 years ago on another planet that is a mining colony known as Kulao. Kuli? Kuali? I, I don't know. Anyway, it's a Weyland-Yutani subsidiary, and we see a bunch of synthetics, or androids that is, 
working on mining some ore when they hit a air pocket behind a cavern wall. Uh, there's an explosion. Two of them are taken out. Uh, we see the human in charge gets upset. He starts yelling about how the synthetics are worthless and blah, blah, blah. He then orders them to go inside the cave. We then uh, transition back to present day in 2208 on the uh, ice planet LV-695, where we see the team, they descend into the icy waters where the uh, ship has sunken. They board the ship, and the crew begins to investigate the sunken ship. Two of the crew members decide to sneak off to have a little bit of fun when a xenomorph shows up and tries to attack them. Thankfully, though, their commander Cole is nearby to shoot the alien and kill it. We then discover that the uh, Commander Cole is actually Zasa Zahn, which is the little girl who survived the first series. So that's supposed to be a really cool reveal, but you kind of knew at the beginning anyway, because who else has pinkish red hair like that? I mean, like, come on, they didn't even bother. They just made her taller, really. So, uh, but yeah, it's kind of supposed to be cool. Uh, we then flash back to the past in 2168 on that mining planet, where uh, the uh, synthetics, they go into the cavern and they discover... An alien egg. That's right, guys. A xenomorph egg. And at first, it's not really doing anything. It's not really reacting to them. But once the human steps into the cave, it starts to react. And this actually is playing on established lore in the alien mythology. Uh, somehow, xenomorphs, uh, aliens, that is, they are able to discern between non-organic and organic life. You know, even if it's synthetic, it doesn't matter. They can tell that they are not living. And the point of the facehugger is to impregnate a living host. So that's why it does not react to the synthetic. So that's really cool. That's really interesting. So uh, the facehugger, it attacks the man and he gets impregnated. We then flash back to the present where uh, Sasha Zahn gets a call from her uh, fellow uh, co-workers at William Yutani that she is needed back up top where she is going to be meeting the person who is really in charge of the whole operation, the commander of this operation who is June Utani, which is a member of the Wayland Utani family. He, I don't know if he's the CEO's son, nephew. Either way, he is a member of the CEO's family, and he is spearheading this expedition. So rather than taking the ship back up, she decides to just swim up on their own. There's this kind of cool panel where we see some of the submorphs swimming in the water near her, but she doesn't see them, obviously. Uh, they don't quite get her, though. She's able to get up to the top before then. And then she starts talking to her lieutenant or whatever, and she basically gives him this bullcrap excuse where it's like, oh, hey, uh, I gotta go use the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. And she's definitely not going to the bathroom, ladies and gents. She is going to sneak off to explore the rest of the uh, destroyed uh, station from the previous series. Uh, and it appears as though she is going to be trying to recover the remains of her family. That's how it appears anyway, which I really like that. I think that's a really cool story. Beat, and I really like that progression for this character. Jun Yutani then arrives, and we find out is just a teenage boy, and he's really into baseball, and he's just, you know, you could tell he's very spoiled, and he's all about like, look, I get it, we're here to extract this ship, but I got other plans. I know there's something more going on here. So it appears he may know that there are xenomorphs here. He doesn't outright say it, but he does say, I know. Now, there's more here than meets the eye. And, you know, meanwhile, he's playing baseball while doing that. So, yeah, it's, it's a really weird, strange character choice. Like, I get it. You know, it's like, oh, he's supposed to be like the spoiled rich baby or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, well, if Waylon Yutani is aware of Xenomorphs being here, would they really send their like 19 year old son? Like, really? That, that to me was a very weird choice. But either way, that's the character Declan Shavi chose to go with. Um, 
So yeah, we then flash back to the past again on the mining planet, and we see that uh, the synthetics get the human to some other doctor synthetics, which is kind of weird, and nothing really comes of it, because that's literally how the flashback ends for this issue, just as like, oh, hey, we got you to the doctor, now we're going to try and save you, and that's that's basically it for the flashback, so it ends a little bit weird. Maybe it'll be uh, better in the next issue, maybe I'll explain some more, but I really can't tell what this flashback has to do with the main story. But uh, going back to the present, uh, we also see that uh, uh, Zasha's crew on the uh, USCSS Boria, uh, they were left behind, they're still on there, and they're just talking and pondering, being like, well, what the heck happened in this place? And they start thinking, like, well, why would she leave us here? Why are we here by ourselves doing nothing? And it's like, oh, we're bait for the aliens, aren't we? And yep, and sure enough, the xenomorphs show up and start killing them. Yep, so uh, that's basically it for this issue. Uh, There's a few other things in here, but I mean, it's all like very surface level. You don't really need to know it, but that's the main gist of what happens in this issue. So overall, guys, I really like this issue. Uh, I wouldn't say it was great, but... I think this is much better than the past few issues we have gotten from Declan Shalvey. Now, I did like the annual, the silent issue. So uh, I think I'm going to give it the same grade. Uh, I gave that a 7 out of 10, and that's what I think this one deserves. I think it's a pretty good start. Uh, while there is some crap in here about, you know, oh, we're continuing stuff from the first series that I wasn't really a fan of. But you know what? I do like seeing this character return. I do like seeing her potentially get closure by recovering her family's remains. I like that. I like seeing Waylon Yutani get annihilated by the alien. There's some really cool stuff here. There's some also not so really cool stuff. Like I said, I have no clue what's going to happen with the flashback. I don't know how that ties in at all. Um, The art's cool. The art is really cool. There are some really cool visuals in here. Um, There's a few character decisions that I don't really like, like Jun Yutani. Uh, he's, He's really weird. I don't really know why... They insist on him being so young and immature, all that. I get it, like, supposed to be like, uh, oh, sticking it to Waylon Yutani, but at the same time, it's like, they would not send that kid, logically. So, uh, yeah, 7 out of 10, I think that's a pretty good score for this. And, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this review. I really had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, I'll talk to y'all later. Remember, stay weird, everybody. And here I am with Gray. What up, Gray? Hey, Jim, how's it going? Hey, uh, awesome. We have a bunch of books for me and you to talk about, a number one. A book that, I don't know even why it exists. And then this one, Blade. We, we're going to start with Blade. And me and you both said before we started the idea, felt like we missed an issue here. I'm sure it, it we ends up, Yeah, <laughs> we ended up at the last issue and we thought that it was rushing to an end. We actually yeah. thought maybe it had been canceled. I got a hold of Brian Hill and he actually said that, no, that it's not canceled. It's going to continue. And then you get into this issue. And it still ends up, you see that it's setting up something which I think might be a little more exciting. I don't know how things go editorial deal. Like, did they get to him and say, all right, this whole thing that you're doing right now, it's fine, but we need to get to Dracula. That's what it seems, right? You end up having this big bad, and then out of nowhere, you end up just ending it. Last issue rushed to get Blade to fight this big bad and then when we get to this adana it's done the the fight's over already and i thought mean you actually went to see in fact if you missed an issue right 
I did, yeah. I was checking, like, uh, this is issue five, isn't it, Jim? was like, I thought, oh, we must have missed one, but no, the last one was four, and as you say, it ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. Here comes the fight, and now we just get a black box saying, okay, Blade, what do you remember? <laughs> and it's like, the fight's over. And the big play was the sword and how he was going to go get it. And, and in this, if you haven't been reading this, this Adana, this big bad, who's kind of in the background but messing around with Blade, has tricked Blade continuously to end up having Blade being really the one who brought her back, is fueling all of this, so Blade's going to end it. And then we get here and the, the fight's over. A very odd, but by the end, I kind of got excited. It's funny because me and you last week, did the what if tomb of dracula and we're kind of getting that feel by the end of this so maybe it was good that we read that what if that we didn't love but still we got the flavor of it but we'll see but this is late number five yeah it is it's very odd written by brian hill all the art in this by elena casagrande which that's a good thing for us kj diaz on colors and dc's Corey petit on letters so you jump in and the fight's over and you end up having Doctor Strange and Blade sitting amongst uh, what appears to be a bunch of possibly dead vampires. we got a werewolf over there in the, the foreground. Like, this seems like one of those plays when you're reading a comic and you don't quite understand why we didn't see this cool thing. Like, I'd rather have seen this really neat fight with all these monsters and yeah. maybe skip the idea of Doctor Strange still admonishing Blade for what he's done. And it just threw me off. I'm just glad, Jim, one of those werewolves isn't Captain America. Yeah, really. I mean, maybe it should be. I don't know. But <laughs> there are a bunch of monsters there. We got the, the wolf, wolf man. man. We got He's the Dracula. We got them all. So you end up where Blade says, all right, well, this big fight you had and lost because the Sedona, she got away. It's also triggered a bunch of things happening around the world. Feels very much like it should tie in fully with the Incredible Hulk book that's going on right now, where you also have kind of like the secret agent sleeper, you know, bad things mm. being activated. That's, that's kind of right. what happens here. Everybody's changing. And you have Doctor Strange still mad about you need to fix this. You need to get this done. You need to do what's happening. Well, Blade wants to know where his friends are. I need to know where they are. And it's Tulip and Rotha. And he says, Strange says, I'll take you to them. We'll see what's happening. And the problem is, out of nowhere, they were affected as well, at least Tulip. And I just feel like through this whole issue that I'm kind of like one step behind everything because everything is kind of like, okay, we got rid of all this stuff, but let's present this stuff really quick to get to the end. And it's okay. It's just I expected a little bit more from the buildup of where we were going to here. Me too, because like, we were both really quite enjoying this, weren't we? The first few issues I thought were great, were a great start. But after last issue's kind of rushed finish and then this issue where we feel like, yeah, we missed a whole scene. I don't know, Jim. Yeah, a little bit disappointing. I, I think also, maybe the play is, maybe it's not just to get to Dracula, spoiler, but the idea that the Sedona, I think that, Maybe it was supposed to end here. Like, this was supposed to be a big fight. We ended, but maybe it's them giving Brian Hill props of saying, you could do more with this big bad. Don't let it end here. Let's put her aside. Because really, by the end of this, it looks like, all right, Adonis, she's still out there. She's still behind the scenes. Because in this, they go to this island, and she is recruiting 
all these servants in this war against man. She also seems to want to kill all the vampires. Like, she wants to cleanse the whole world. It seems that's a big thing. But in the meantime, it just feels rushed. It felt like things kind of built to a point where, all right, I'm waiting for a payoff that we didn't get yet, but we'll see. But you end up where Blade and Doctor Strange go back. Tulip, out of nowhere, is completely possessed by a demon. And it says the idea that, you know, part of hell is in her and part of her is in hell. She is suffering. She wants to be killed. Blade oh won't do it. Strange won't do it. But I thought at the one point when they go back to, you know, the Sanctum Sanctorum, it looks like is where they are, where you have Rotha and Tulip. I, I didn't understand what they were saying at first. Like, oh, man, Tulip, they got to her. I'm like, I didn't know what they were saying. Like, oh, look at what happened to her. And she's just standing there. I actually, I'll be, I'll admit I'm a dummy. I thought that they cut off her arms because she had her arms behind her back. And I, I couldn't like, figure out what they were saying. The same thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, exactly. okay. And please kill me. I mean, I, it's bad to lose your arms, but still. What did they do to her? <laughs> so, and then Rotha's just there, bloody, just, you know, sitting there down on the floor. Yeah. And the play here again, because we didn't see this happen. It feels like it doesn't hit as much when Dr. Strange says, I can't cure her, but I can give her this amulet that will end up making it less hurtful, the amulet mm. of Eden, so that she can still do things, but she still has this. T- it feels very forced. It feels very rushed. But again, we're kind of setting up pieces. And the only thing that I can say about this by the end, you are setting up things that maybe. You could end up next issue having almost a jumping on point with Blade going, teaming up with Dracula. You have this setup for the, you know, Rotha and Tulip. Maybe that's the play. I can see that, yeah. To go, okay, we had that first five issues. That's usually a trade. Let's end up going forward with some bigger things that might get more people buying it. I don't know how well or bad it's selling, but maybe that's the case. It's just. As pe- me and you, who have been enjoying it, reading it all this time, every issue, uh, it just feels weird. But some of the things are okay, but I don't know. It just felt odd to have Tulip. Maybe that's because they need her to have something more interesting to stay with Blade. But the big play here is, okay, Blade needs friends. He needs to figure things out. He is then going to just go, again, go against Adana. He wants to face her. He wants to, you know, maybe figure some things out. So Doctor Strange goes through this deal of, well, she's not really on Earth. She's not really in hell, but she's in a dimension, and I'll send you there. Doctor Strange stuff. And when Blade goes, there's a bit of crap talking. But at this point, Adana is just too powerful for Blade. Blade has set her up that way. She's deadly. Jim, what do you think? The way that Blade is, he's just suddenly there, isn't he? We go from one second talking to Doctor Strange and then, like, there he is. He's in whatever, this dimension of hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's like her own hell. And she even makes fun of Doctor Strange. And the big play is, again, she wants to cleanse Earth. She wants to end up taking down all the vampires, all the things, including Blade, but then ends up just burning him just ends up saying you know you know how this works i am too big for you and i am going to just destroy you and ends up just setting them on fire and it's weird again like you said very weird transitions because he's on fire i'm like oh god he's gonna die 
Then suddenly, boom, he's back on Earth. He's there with Rotha saying goodbye to her, saying, please look after Tulip. He's still on fire. Like, he's still burned. He's, yeah, he's got a burned face, burn hasn't victim he? Blade. I think he's in Japan here as well, Jim. There's a Tory. There's a red gate there, isn't there, in the distance? Yeah, it looks like they went back to, like, Rotha's deal. That's where she says, my people are going to be after you. And he says, well, maybe you should find them and change their minds. All right. And take care of Tulip. I'm going to get going. And then says goodbye. And, and again, why then did you set these things up with Tulip? Except for the idea that he wants to help her eventually. But you're kind of leaving them behind yeah. to go to, well, it looks like Chernobyl. It would be to go to Russia and get on a team up, a two for one. You get a little bit of a Dracula. I will tell you by the end, if you're going to have people want to read the book, if I said to somebody, well, you should read it because Blade teams up with Tulip and Rotha, they're going to say who? If I say, hey, you got to read it, Blade's teaming up with Dracula, then, then they're in. There's the cell. And at the end, it looks great. The, the art at the end where Blade is going to Dracula for help, hey, can you help me out? And it is one of those enemy of an enemy type thing. This Adana is big, bad, and it's going to kill everybody. And so, hey. Here you go. And he says, you're Dracula's son, son of the dragon, of Vlad Tepes and the Blood Wolf. You know how to win a war. He needs to win this war against Adana. So he's gone to Dracula, something that you would never thought he would do. Next cover looks pretty funny. It's like them hanging out like they're having a grand old time. Yeah. It's like the team up of a century here, uh, Blade and Dracula. What do you think of his blonde hair, Jim? The Dracula we got here. It's a weird version, isn't it? Like long, yeah, Dracula, he, he looks okay. He's there. He's yeah. got a suit on, his medals, right? The thing to notice, I guess, is that a lot of the vampires have been killed because he's not quite ruling much of a city here. No, there's nothing there, is there? There's yeah. nobody else there. He has shown up. And so... That'll be the deal. And I'm sure we'll get a lot of the talk about, hey, once this is done, I'm going to kill you, Dracula. And, hey, I'm going to kill you, Blade. I hate your guts. Kind of interesting, though. Kind of a neat way to continue on. It's just odd that we ended up really rushing to this point And then in this issue, setting up something new with Dracula to get there. You kind of just go zip, zip, zip around. We didn't really get to see the big fight. Looked like it might have been cool. But by the end, I'm in for Blade and Dracula, so we'll obviously be continuing reading and reviewing this, but what did you think of this issue? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it ended a lot more positively than it, I think it started. It might be nice to see a bit more of that fight that we didn't see, but I guess you could say, well, you know, they could have been showing it as we went through the issue, little bits and yeah. pieces. But yeah, um, I'm here for Dracula, I really am, I must admit. I am too. Again, if you're going to get a wow moment for a, a Blade book to get people on board you just have to say, hey, listen, Blade's teaming up with Dracula. That could do it. If it doesn't, maybe it's the play. We're going to go all for it. If this doesn't sell, then maybe we'll just have to bail on it. So I, ho I hope that it does sell. I'm enjoying the book. Too. I actually yeah. like it for the action-packed deal. And that's the problem is usually, especially with Lena Casagrande back on art, you usually do get a lot of pages of battle. So that battle might have been cool. But then again... It sometimes at the end of that feels like you didn't get that much, but it's, you know what I mean? It's that weird play. Like you said, you would have liked to have seen the battle, but maybe this way it's better to get going in some new direction, or at least it's not a totally new direction. They're going against Adana, but it, it's something big. So we'll see. 
But yeah, it seems like, I mean, I said, I think that editorial kind of got their mitts on it and said, kind of shifted Dracula's way. At the end, you have the tombs of Dracula, which it's, or the tomes of Dracula looks really, really cool the way that that's set up. But what would your score be? I'm going to give this a 6.5. It's funny. I, I could almost by the end, because it's Dracula, I could almost go seven just because I'm excited. But that's more of me being excited of what's to come. Do it, Jim. Do it. You are positive. Come on. Well, I, I was thinking six, five alone, but by the end, I'm a seven in excitement to go forward. And that could just go up. I mean, this could be really fun. It could be a really fun book. Maybe we'll have a sleeper hit with Dracula teaming up with Blade. I will say, though, if you haven't been reading this, this issue isn't quite a jumping on point. You're probably going to be confused what this is a very much wrap up everything that kind of was going on so that we could go yeah, forward and new with Dracula. But I suggest people read it. Me and you, like you said, last issue, we were a little thrown off because things started getting rushed. Now you see why. But the first three issues, me and you really did enjoy. We were having a lot of fun with it. We were going, you know, pretty high on our scores as well. Yeah, so it was something fun. that I would say, check out me and you both six fives, but I'm a seven. And excitement. That's how I'm trying to be more positive. I, I ended up having a guy tell me that I'm too negative today and said, it wasn't no, you. You. Uh, you tell me that all the time. But no, <laughs> I ended up like, now I'm running scared. So I, I'll bet you seven in excitement. But we'll move on to the next book, which I don't know that I'm going to be able to get that excited about. And that next book is Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos, number two, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Carlos Magno. Colors by Espen Grudenjern, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, I asked you to join me on this one. You didn't review the first issue with me. You did not miss much. I know that it was one of those plays where I wasn't angry about it. It's just you didn't get any bit of cap wolf until pretty much the last page or two. And that's kind of a weird play to go into something that is a big deal, like a not a big deal, but a fun thing, cap wolf. You want Capwolf. You get Capwolf here in the second issue. He doesn't do much. This issue is another one that just kind of stands around and talks with each other, but also starts out on the Nazi side of things. And while that's kind of a, I don't want to say anything Nazi is kind of cool, but in the book, it's a cool play of the occult. It's the stuff that you'll get a lot of times with Nazis in movies, say an Indiana Jones thing, or even in comics like this. But then by the end, I still sit there and say, like, I kind of want more Cap Wolf. And what is this all about? What are you going to do with Cap Wolf? Really, it looks like you're just setting up a bunch of fights with Nazi, Nazi wolves. And I mean, you going into this issue, what did you think? First of all, um, I must admit, I do like the art style. I think it suits this the, the horror comic for it. But Jim, I thought this was just like a one-off. You know, the first issue was a Halloween special, something like that, which it would suit, wouldn't it? I think it should have been. I, I think yeah. that this could have been... Slightly oversized, tell a cool story. You get the Helen Commandos, you get Dum Dum and the rest where they're going to want to, oh my God, Cap's a werewolf, let's end up killing him. Oh no, it's still Cap underneath. Oh crazy, let's go forward, let's have some fun, let's do some things with it. But at the whole play, all you're doing right now is, all right, Cap's going to fight a bunch of Nazi werewolves. You get this mystical, crazy woman in the background, you get your doctor who's not quite into this but at the end all you're going to end up doing is trying to find the cure for cap and it'll probably be in that nazi base now the whole thing was set up where okay there's this nazi outpost things are weird there 
some crazy stuff's happening. Oh my God, the Nazis and the occult, let's go. There's werewolves and the werewolves attack in that first issue. They're able to be fought off, but they turn Cap into a werewolf. In this, then you start off with the Nazis then saying, you know what we should do? We should make more werewolves. And it goes for page after page where, yeah, there's a little dissent. The doctor's yelling about this. You have the evil Nazi commander. You end up having this mystical woman who shows up that looks pretty cool, pretty sexy, I'd say. Little she goth. is. Her name's Ross as well, Jim. Ross, and she uh, she's the reason the moon is listening, apparently. Yeah, the moon. So there's a lot of like ways that <laughs> Stephanie Phillips is going to try to I don't know. She's trying to get a little more in depth in parts where you don't really need to. And it's trying to get fancy and it doesn't work out. Really, all we're here mm. for is Cap Wolf. Let's see him do things. I was expecting at some point to have Cap Wolf punch Hitler in the face. Fun things like that. But we'll yeah. see. But you end up, you know, have some fun with it. And that's one of the big plays, I think, by the end of this. It's not that fun. You know, by the end of reading it, I didn't think that it was that exciting or fun. That's what I kind of want from a Cap Wolf book. But she's trying to get a little bit of character work, but some of it's on the Nazi side. She's it, trying it's to very set them up, isn't she? The beginning, like, because Cap doesn't come into it, like you were saying, until the eighth page, Jim. And again, nothing, nothing really happens, does it? Not no, really. because at the end of the first issue, oh my God, Cap Wolf. Kill me, dumb dumb, kill me, and you kind of go with that. Now you had yeah. set up that dumb dumb and the Helen Commandos. They were kind of pissed off that Cap was even involved. Hey, we're Furies guys. You're just a person who sells war bonds. We don't trust you. We don't really. And now it's like he's a werewolf, and they don't want to kill him. Some of them are like, "Oh my God, he's a werewolf! <laughs> like, kill him!" No way. Were they were they dissing Cap in the first issue? I didn't yeah, know yeah. Oh my God, just full out. Like, eh, we don't need him. And uh. and I'll tell you too, where you have this. Of course, Dum Dum's there, big guy. He's the guy that we're going to center on. But yeah. the rest of the Howling Commandos just become just like an amalgamous blob of people. You you don't really get much of the, you know, hey, that guy stuck out, or I I like that guy. It's just dumb, dumb, and the rest. So when he's there and he's like, I'm going to kill Cap, but then he can't. He says, I can't kill Cap. He's Cap. Cap starts yelling, come on, do it, dumb, dumb. And then you end up dumb, dumb punches Cap. But all this is like right there in the woods where they were at the last issue. Not much else is happening here. So while that's going on, suddenly a woman shows up and she shoots Cap, doesn't kill him. And she's like, hey, everybody get back. I'll take care of this stinking werewolf. I like the idea that they have to tell her, listen, that's Captain America. W- what does she think? That he's just a <laughs> werewolf that's cosplaying as Captain what America? Wearing? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, man, and she's part of the French resistance. You get mention of who do you think you are, John Wayne? There's so many things that are just kind of like really generic. They're just thrown in. Oh, we have the occult Nazis making werewolves. We end up having a girl out of nowhere comes out part of the French resistance. You end up having Cap Wolf. Yeah, but nothing really happens. The idea that she is actually like taken aback. Oh, my God, you can talk. I'm not used to these werewolves talking. Now, how long have the Nazis been making these werewolves? It seemed like a new thing, but she seems to be, quite, you know, French resistance werewolf hunter. And so you end up where Cap can talk. I thought this in the first issue. It's just explained because of the super soldier serum. It is able to fight off the wolf man 
enough for him to talk, but not enough for him to actually just, you know, not be a wolfman. Also, I kept thinking of the idea of like, just delay this. Cap is not attacking anybody at this point. You just have to wait till the moon goes away. Yeah. And he's right. Cap and then figure things out, right? Uh, but That's they're just it. standing around yelling at each other. And you end up where, oh no, you know, this lady who suddenly shows up, Frankie. Oh man, you're Frankie, the the spy, the general told me about like everything's too much of a coincidence. But you end up where at the end they have to figure out what they're gonna do. They have to take down that Nazi outpost that you started off last issue kind of setting up that they had to do anyway. So reaffirm that because they think that there's gonna be werewolves, and in fact, the Nazis have made everybody into werewolves and they end up at the end saying, Go and kill Captain America. I'm like What's going on here? Because one guy did get back to the base like, oh, my God, Captain America was there, all this. I would think that at a point you would maybe try to grab Captain America if you are the Nazis and maybe think that you could end up kind of having Captain America as a werewolf on your side now. And that would be a crazy deal. But after two issues, this just feels like a weird, unnecessary book. I know that it is kind of a wacky deal. But maybe this should have been a what if Cap became Cap Wolf again, or oh, like yeah. you said, a oversized one shot deal that was just for the, you know, the Halloween season, because this is going to keep going. And I don't know how much I'm going to be into this in, say, January. Or if, you know, we're going to end up going a little bit in this mini series here, but there's really not anything. I hate to use the puns, but there's not much to sink your teeth into here because it's just. Hey, like you get this elevator pitch, Cap Wolf, right? Okay, people think that that's cool. That seems like pretty exciting. So, what do you go from there? Cap Wolf. That, that's it. They're going to stand around and yell about Cap Wolf, and the Nazis are going to make werewolves. It's just not enough. But the art's great. The art, I think, is even better in this issue. And I like last issue's art. This issue, it really plays up that hard, even has like an old school type deal to it. Uh, yeah, and it does. I, I thought it was really, really good. But all you need to know, if you haven't read it yet, two issues. Cap is a werewolf and the Nazis are making werewolves and they're going to fight eventually. But before that, they're going to talk. They're going to do a lot of talking about things that really <laughs> don't matter. There they you don't. go. Cap I'll tell you wolf. what, Jim. Do you get the feeling, the impression that they're right? It's Stephanie Phillips, isn't it? I think she yeah. cares a lot more about this this gothic witch character. Yeah, she's, she's, I think that she's that's She's spending more time developing her, isn't she? An interesting look, like we said. Yeah, uh, yeah I do like Maybe it. an interesting character, but I don't know quite that a Cap Wolf book is going to end up being able to let you introduce a character that might continue on later. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think that what I get from this, and a lot of times I talk about this even on the comics aficionados when I'm on there at points, the idea that nowadays there doesn't seem to be a lot of people pitching books there's a lot of editors asking people to do a book that the concept's out there. And then because it doesn't feel like there's much of a story here. This doesn't feel like a passion project that Stephanie no, Phillips always had a Cap Wolf story that she needed to tell. This feels like somebody said, hey, do you want to do a Cap Wolf book? Why not? And then you're kind of coming up with a story r- retroactive. It just doesn't feel like it's that inspired or has much behind it. But if you enjoy looking at Cap, even then there's not really that many like oh my god this should have at least 
a huge spread page and then also like three parts that are wow moments. You got Tap Wolf. Where are the wow moments? Where, at least in the art of one page where I'm like, oh my God, I, I could end up getting that signed at a convention. It's so cool. You don't even really get that. So I think it's a misplay. But what would you give this? It's a tricky one to call. Thinking about the the blade issue, I'm going to give this um, a 5.5 out of 10, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm a 5.5 as well. Maybe we'll keep doing this. This is one of those that now after two issues, I kind of get the lay of the land. I yeah. kind of realized there might not be much to it. Again, the only actual interesting character, like you said, is the woman that shows up. And without her, I mean, you have nothing. And even she isn't that much. But, you know, you no. have her licking blood off a knife. You know, sexy stuff like that. That's the best scene in the book, isn't it? She's going to yeah. end up getting hepatitis. You know, then, oh, no. then what happens? I mean, seriously, I wouldn't want to be licking knives with crazy wolf men around. But you get that. But. Yeah, a little bit of a, a downer, but we'll move on to the next book, which is a new number one. Hey, everybody, Jim here. And before we get into the next book, which is Carnage number one, I do want to let everybody know that it is a spoiler review, which that's nothing new. We do kind of spoil things, but we usually spoil them after they come out. Now, Marvel this week, when they sent out their review copies, they ended up including Carnage number one. In the review copy pack that we get, I didn't know that it doesn't come out until next week. I think they had a little snafu there. They accidentally released it a week early. I had no idea. So we ended up reviewing it. I ended up doing a video on it. And then after the fact, somebody did tell me, Stephen Batdad Mitchell, a little shout out, said, hey, this doesn't come out till next week. And I'm like, what? Because I usually just go with what's in the review pack. So We ended up reviewing it. I'm telling you this, so this is kind of an advanced review. If you want to wait until the issue itself comes out, read it, and then listen, then I would say, you know, you can consider the podcast over now because this will be the last book. But if you don't mind spoilers, want to see what's going on with it, then you can listen in and we will talk about it, you know, for about 20 minutes or so. So that's just to let everybody know. I don't want somebody to all of a sudden get surprised with the idea that they were waiting for Carnage number 1, and we end up spoiling all the fun for them. So, again, if you don't want to hear spoilers, hopefully you'll come back and listen to it after you read the issue when it comes out on Wednesday. But if you don't mind that, here we go. And the new number 1 is Carnage number 1, written by Torin Gronbeck. Perry Perez on art, colors by Eric Arcinega and VCs Joe Sabino on letters. Because it's a number one, I will give you the little blurb on the credits page very quick. Carnage has fought his way across the multiverse as a symbiote without a host. He managed to rid himself of almost all the classic symbiote weaknesses and attain godlike power. Can it possibly be enough, or is it something someone still missing to truly make him whole? If you ask any fans, that someone is Cletus Cassidy. And we're going to get Cletus Cassidy back in this issue. And Torin Grumbeck kind of came on the scene, in my mind, recollecting the deal, kind of got involved with Jason Aaron, ended up filling in for some of the Thor books, kind of a cool play that Torin means Thor. And so she ended up doing that. I'm not a real big fan. I think that she's decent enough, but nothing has really excited me. Recently, it seems that she's taken over that side deal with Al Ewing, her and Al Ewing going through the Venom book. So having her on Carnage is kind of a weird play of like she is following a bit in the Ram V footsteps that was all that stuff before. This probably at one point would have been 
something Ram V would have continued on with, but is now exclusive at DC. So have you read any Torn Grumbach? No, I was going to ask you, like, whether, you know, is she any good? I knew she'd done Thor and done She's a bit okay. of uh, Venom. Yeah, yeah, and, and does, like, the Realm of X, I believe, of the X-Men stuff, but I'm okay. not reading the X-Men. I, I think that she is capable. You know, you get issues, but nothing ever really excites me that I've read. And that's kind of what I think of this. You end up having a carnage number one. I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, actually, because of all the things they've done, even with the Venom stuff, even with the carnage stuff, and the idea that I think most people want a classic carnage back. It seems like we might be getting towards that. I don't know if it's exactly here, but it plays off here as like a horror comic, but yet I never really got scared. Now, I get scared about everything. I'm not saying that I have to poop my pants here or anything, but, you know, it never really felt like, all right, this is crazy. Oh, my God, this is really horrific. It really plays off where it's overly narrated in my mind, which actually kind of pulls me out a bit. I can't really get into the tension and what's going on when it is so narrated. And usually when you have a symbiote book, you will have that back and forth with the character, the host, the other, all that. You don't even really get that. It's mostly just this narration that tries to be a bit fancy at points, but then really just, like I said, it pulls me out a bit because we start off where, oh, my God, Carnage is pretty much a god but isn't satisfied with that. Go, You go to Omnipotent City and Carnage is looking for answers to from the god librarian the all-knowing god librarian and this scene again it's kind of a cool play but it just kind of happens and you end up where carnage wants to know you know what am i what do i need to do what's going on and the librarian actually even starts you know what's your purpose if you're a god you have to be worshipped by people you have to have a purpose that kind of sets up later where me and you say that you got kind of a biblical type story going on, but we couldn't quite grab onto it. That's right. Yeah, I couldn't grab onto this at all, Jim. I'm I was I was quite excited by this opening, this library. It was pretty cool, and then it doesn't seem to really go anywhere, does it? There's not yeah, much. Yeah, that's set up the here. problem. And so the big play is it really feels like you have Carnage, the god who who wept because there was nobody left to carnage up. Like, he needs to set up, like, if I'm a god, I have to really be a god. So what do I need? Well, the one thing that I seem to be missing is Cletus, is Cletus Cassidy, to give me some purpose, to give me some footing to get towards the end goal of being a god. It's very odd, but you end up having this librarian who, again, you have some cool things going on, like these centurions, they're fighting off. But again, does it not look at the point where it looks like Jesus getting stabbed by the Romans with spears? I mean, you end up having these biblical references that I think are they're a little too subtle, but they also just don't really play out in my mind. But you end up having that where you know, Carnage gets sent away through a black hole from the staff of the librarian, and he seemingly ends up. Well, he does in Riker's prison, back to where it all began, and he eats a prisoner. Looks like he just bites his head off, right? Half of his head. Uh, that's kind of horrific, I guess. And then throws up Cletus Cassidy because he needs this biomaterial to remake Cletus that's in the codex. Boom. And then away we go with Cletus as, you know, carnage. But you never really get that full 
carnage feel. It's more Cletus here. And pretty much he just goes around killing people in a weird biblical manner at points, but not quite. Like you said, you we were talking about this and going through like, okay, at one point he is actually targeting and killing people that are the disciples. You end up having names, John, Matthew, but then that changes. Then yeah. he's in a diner where he's talking to this girl. And even the case where, hey, what's your name? Sarah. I'm like, let's go full out. If you're going to like maybe marry Maybe yeah. have some sort of bit, but this girl is listening to some true crime. But this even this scene feels like it's separate, even though there's Cletus. He's going through the Bible. He's making his carnage marks in there and things like that. Talking to this girl a tiny bit about the Bible brings up some stuff. Uh, the true crime. She's like, like things get a little mixed up. The only thing that I can say that I was excited about in this issue, though, is we do get Flash Thompson. I love I wish we had I wish this was a Flash Thompson book I wish that we actually brought him back Anti-Venom all that But instead he's just in the side deal Where he senses That something has returned Something has gone wrong and he is Going to be the person who seemingly Is chasing down You know Cletus and Carnage And you get his sad sack life I felt bad for him where he, even then he's, you know, there he is, security. He shows up for work. I love Flash. He's like, hey, boss, sorry I'm late. He's like, I didn't notice, you jerk. And I'm like, what a sad sack Flash is. They don't even know if he's showed up for work on time. And then he goes and drinks and gets in a barroom fight. There's not really much of him. He was getting some grief, wasn't he, Jim, from that boss as well? Like, she wasn't yeah. happy. I, I, I didn't like the way she was treating him. I got to say didn't that. I get that because he's there. He's drinking. He's having a conversation, and then these guys start fighting, and the one guy calls her a name, and Flash freaks out and nails him against the wall, and then she's yelling, he's going to sue you, get the hell Stop out of Stop it, like, Flash. Yeah, she's angry at him. Yeah, I was like, get out of there, Flash. You don't need this crap. But through this, you end up again, Cletus is going around, and it's played off as that, hey, creepy Cletus back in town. He's going to kill people, but we don't know them at, at a point. Like you said, it just feels like a name. It's hey, just there's random, John. isn't it? Yeah, we there's don't know Paul. them. We don't know why. Yeah, where's, where's Ringo? Ringo and George? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that's what we need. So then my <laughs> score would have went up. But the idea of yeah, really, I should have hit that. You end up where this then leads to where Cletus then goes to this kid who ended up killing a bunch of people because he needed his life to mean something and he ends up killing him but that kid doesn't quite have the biblical name type deal that we were setting up in philip but he ends up hello philip and i'm like okay he takes him down he actually says you know hold my hand here we'll pray are you a god-fearing guy have you found the lord yeah i'm getting there all right well let's pray and as you're doing you see you know, the, the symbiote come from his back and he ends up killing him. But as he's being killed, he is marking the deal down. He's like, hey, this guy's number 11, you, went, you know, down the line here. And yeah. even then, like you're getting the 12 disciples, but it's kind of veered off like a, a path here. But you end up where the big play then at the end is to go after what appears to be like an Elon Musk. You even said I said it's Milan Usk. Is what we have going on here Nathaniel Jones which is weird because Was an amalgam character Back in the day in the Magneto and the Metal Men book But I don't think that's a connection though it'd be Crazy if this was like the redo 
introduction of the Amalgam universe. I'd be all into that. But this guy, again, you, you, you don't really know these characters. You don't really know or know why you should care. You're just actually just watching Cletus just walk around randomly and say, hey, I'm going to kill this guy. You even have that background. The first guy he kills is, besides that prisoner, is this play of, oh, this guy was in the war. All of his friends are dead. He's too much of a chicken to kill himself. I'm like, okay, just let's go. And so then Cletus, this is the best though. Cletus goes and now all of a sudden, instead of just killing people, he needs to make a spectacle of this Nathaniel who's a billionaire. He's the tech guy. You don't really know this until, you know, you kind of figure it out through just how people told, even react. We? Yeah, that's right. So this is you're being told. Yeah. And he's put in a David Blaine-like chamber. You know, outside of probably his big, you know, place where they sell all the phones and all these things that he's known for. You see a big 5G behind there. But even then, you have all this weird cartage writing on this clear container where, like I said, it looks like you're going to be mind free. Chris Angel's going to show up. He's going to be doing card tricks. And then you have David Blaine who's going to sleep on ice for three years. So you end up where this guy's like, please help me, help me. They're going by now. You end up seeing... This guy who you recognize as the Elon Musk guy here. And you're like, oh, look at that. What kind of stunts this? The guy is bare chested. He has a 12 carved into his chest. And he's got a bunch of crazy writing in this clear deal. You should know something's wrong. Like this seems like a very weird publicity stunt or something they just for start promotion. Filming you, don't they, with the phones and then and then finally, oh, maybe we should help him. <laughs> I love <laughs> where they're doing? like, oh my God, we should help him as everybody is liking. Yeah, yeah, getting all these hearts on this scene. I know you're gonna play with and somebody would say, Well, Carnage is a god, but what kind because when did he set this up? Like the idea that they are in like downtown new york city looks like in manhattan and he has set up a clear container with one of the richest most you know seemingly known men in the world inside with a bunch of scribbling and a big tarp over it when did he do this when did carnage cletus go and say okay well i'm gonna set up this container first now i'm gonna transfer this guy there it's so weird that you just have it there and then they're like oh man it's great and then he's boiling to death and drowns and he's dead it's weird, like, isn't it, Jim? You're saying here they the people watching they don't understand that they're watching worship. But how how is this like related to worshiping Carnage? Is it because he's causing he's causing Carnage? So that means you know they're watching it. And they're, they're worshiping giving, just they're, the Carnage. Yeah. And I think that's where you get where people are liking it. You know, they're they're I Dale see. and is he now now here again? We're we're playing at one point. You do have some social media. Part, you have a, a page of that then you're being told about the podcast the true crime is this like the play in that weird way in the background of that's how he realized because even then when cletus comes back he ends up saying "Ooh, he has to catch up with the tech like he's really seems interested like this is where it's going to end up is how you can get worship is because people are pieces of crap and they tend to veer towards Really bad things like the girl listening true crime. You are listening to murders and yeah, tales of death and mayhem. I think that Torin Grumbach and I didn't even think this before. You kind of hit that deal. The, the light bulb went off. That it is that play of ooh, this is the time for me now. Everybody's hateful. Everybody loves just misery. And if you end up killing somebody online, streaming it, they don't even care. They're liking it. 
and that'll be how he's worshipped, and that's what we get to. Don't know that I need that from no. a carnage deal. Cancel culture gone like to the nth degree or something, isn't it? It's like you carnage know, becoming culture. death, carnage culture. Can yeah. we call that carnage? I even said to you as a joke that you could end up using the carnage symbol as an at in like an on. I think that might happen. <laughs> I'm telling you, carnage culture. It's weird though because you end up starting this and it's it's a little too subtle. But then it's too over the top with the narration. You, you don't really feel like you're being let to get involved with the story. You're being told stuff. And so That's by right. the end, the yeah. art's okay. Flash at the end, when he hears this and sees what's going on with this Nathaniel Jones, he ends up anti-veniming up and starts trying to get there. And that's where you do see is where the one girl, like Flash looks at his phone and he sees this Nathaniel, you know, Burning up slash we didn't know if it was acid boiling water, but they say he's boiling very odd. We thought it was acid. But as you see, there's tons of hearts. Everybody's liking it as this guy. And again, you're gonna play the idea, oh, I don't like him. Again, Elon Musk, a very divisive guy. So what the play there is, but in that I just want more flash. Like Flash is running to try to stop this. He's not gonna be able to. The guy's dead. But that's the interesting point. That at least I get some flash. Let's see what's going on. But the idea of having a carnage slash Cletus Cassidy who wants people to worship him in an online way, not that interested. I'm really not that interested. But we'll we'll continue. It may be that. It may be something different. It may swerve. But it didn't have a spark this first issue. It didn't really get me going like, oh, my God, because I'm not uh, – I should have said at the beginning, I think you and me both, we haven't read a lot of carnage stuff. No, we haven't. I'm not a huge carnage fan. So I wonder if Carnage fans like this because at least Cletus, hey, he's back, or if this is one of those that, you know, might be a little off for them because I just didn't feel that excited or, you know, really like, oh, my God, I got to keep reading this. I will, but it's not like I'm going to rush out. No, I got to put this on my pull list. This will be the first book I read. It's not quite like that, but what would you give it? I'm the same as you, Jim, and it was uh, 33 pages, and it, it felt it. You know, it was one of those where I was looking at the page count, weren't you? That's the problem with narration like that. If you have narration yeah. in every panel, it starts to become a slog because you're being told things, not able to kind of, you know, get into it fully. But, uh, yeah, that, that is a problem. It lacked the spark. It lacked the excitement. It lacked even, you know, as you say, the the, the horror, the the scary moments. There's, no, there's not really much in it, so... I'm sorry, I'm going to give this a very average 5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to be a little more positive because I did like the art. I, I'm probably being way too positive for what I think, but again, I'm running scared. So I'm, I'm going to give it a 6. I'm just going to give it a 6 because it's a number one. As we talked about it, there's some intriguing things maybe, but that's the problem. I don't yeah. know if they're actually really there. I, are we making up things to try to be excited about it? Or are the things really there? I don't know. We'll have to see. But I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm just giving it a, you know, a straight, like just an average, an average yeah, I'm like 50-50. I'm with you. All. It's just one of those where you could go up or down either way yeah. as it continues. Hopefully it, hopefully it does get better. Hopefully there's more flesh. Hopefully there's more, you know, explain in this. But as a number one, I think that it might have wanted to come out of the gates a little stronger. Definitely. But there you go. But that is it. And uh, thanks for joining me once again, Gray. All right. And that is the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will mention as we end this, if you would like to help us out for everything we do and get a bunch of exclusive podcasts, a bunch of Marvel podcasts, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science, where you can sign up each level. You get more and more stuff. 
Also, you can sign up for a free seven-day free trial to just check out what we have going on, see if it's worth it for you before you actually put down your hard-earned cash. So check that out at patreon.com slash weird science. Here are the books that we'll be talking about next week. I will also mention that this week we did end up planning on doing both the Thor and uh, Spine Tingling Spider-Man, Immortal Thor and Spine Tingling Spider-Man. Me and Matt, we're going to do those. And we had a uh, a bit of a problem with our scheduling at the end of the week. So I forgive me that we didn't end up doing those. I will tell you that both are pretty, pretty good. So you can check those out. Let me know what you think about them. But here's what we're going to talk about next week. Not as many books. We have Amazing Spider-Man number 38. Little wreck rap getting towards the whole gang more. Incredible Hulk number six, a book that I've been enjoying a lot. Avengers Inc. number three, a book that me and Jason talk about, and I'm kind of on the fence there. I, I hope that this is an issue that kind of gets my enthusiasm going a little more. And then Daredevil Black Armor number one, that is a four issue mini that starts next week, and we'll be talking about that. And maybe, just maybe, I'll throw the carnage on there as well. We'll double up that. So if you ended up where Hey, I didn't want to be spoiled by that. Maybe we'll throw it out the actual week that it comes out. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? That would kind of work out. But with all that, thanks, everybody, once again. And, yeah, please check out our website. That would be weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com with reviews and videos on that. Check out our YouTube channel, Weird Science Comics. Put a bunch of the Marvel reviews up there. And then, as I said earlier, if you want some more exclusive podcasts, Go over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science. But that is it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody who ended up joining me this week. And a big shout out to Zach, who ended up doing the aliens all by himself. So, with all that, we'll talk to you next week. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.